It's the final week of our Holy Day series. This is the final portion that we're going to read from Leviticus chapter 23 and look at the uh, feast that the Lord uh, told Moses to speak to the people and tell them about this feast that the Lord uh, instituted that the children of Israel would abide by throughout all their generations. So let's stand as we read these uh, few verses here and pray that God would apply them to our heart. Leviticus chapter 23 verse 39. Remember that the seventh, that this seven-day festival to the Lord, the festival of shelters, begins on the fifteenth day of the appointed month, after you have harvested all of the produce of the land. The first day and the eighth day of the festival will be days of complete rest. On the first day, gather branches from magnificent trees, palms, fawns, burrows from leafy trees and willows that grow by the streams. Then celebrate with joy before the Lord your God for seven days. You must observe the festival of the Lord for seven days every year. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed in the appointed month from generation to generation. For seven days you must live outside in little shelters. All native-born Israelites must live in shelters. This will remain each Remind each new generation of Israelites that I made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses gave the Israelites these instructions regarding the annual festivals of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this day. Lord, we just rejoice in you. Lord, we thank you for living in this country, the land of the free. And Lord, that you allow us to be protected for all your provision. And God, we just ask that you just apply these words to our heart today. Lord, that we can understand the days of humble beginnings. And Lord, that we can understand and think about and, and come to a knowledge, Lord, that you have brought us here, not by our own doing, but by your divine mercy and grace, God. Help us to understand that you are the one in control, God, not us. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. This is known as the Feast of Tabernacles, is what a lot of people would call it. Some people call it the Feast of Booths, and in the New Living's translation, apparently they named it the Feast of Shelters. So any of those three words would uh, uh, mean the same thing. It's basically a time of year where that uh, the children of Israel were instructed by God to build these little shelters, these little huts. It's basically like a tent outside of their homes and they would go outside and live in these shelters these tents or these little huts they're pretty much a shack let's i'll send you a picture if you can somehow get that through there eventually we'll we'll put it up on the screen so these these little shelters is something that the jewish people still do today so if you went over to jerusalem during this season uh, of the feast of tabernacles every home over there would have a little hut outside of it and they would put these palm branches or these uh, willow branches over top of their huts. And it's something that they live in. But the Jewish people has kindly gotten away from a, it being a place that they live. And anymore, really, it's a place where they go out and eat. <laughs> so they don't go out there and sleep in the tents anymore, the huts. They pretty much go out there and they'll eat their meals. And there are certain meals they eat. And it's because it's the last harvest, the final part of the harvest. And they gather nuts and all these different fruits and different things that... 
that they eat. And sorry we don't have any of the nuts from Israel today for you to eat or any of the fruit because uh, one of the fruits that they gather during this time of the season is about like a lemon. And I'm not a big lemon fan anyway, and I probably couldn't have found any because Israel is a long way away. So uh, go get a lemon and chew on that if you want to know what it's like during the Feast of Tabernacles. But as I was thinking about this uh, message for today that uh, deals with this, uh, there's the picture up there. So there's pretty much your shacks that they would uh, go outside, and it's usually out of bamboo-type wood, and, and they would put up around. And there's multiple different kinds. And in America, you can actually buy these. Uh, the name of it is Sukkot, S-U-K-K-O-T. That's the name of the, of the Feast of Tabernacles in, in Hebrew. And you can buy these huts that you can, it's about like the pop-up tent. You know the little four-legged ones we put up and get us a little shelter real quick for our uh, uh, different uh, outreaches we do and like the, uh, during the car show and all the different stuff we've done this year, we had the little hut set up. It's about like that. You can buy one, but it's got sides on it and it's decorated around the walls to look kind of Jewish. And so if, you, if anybody wants to take this literal and actually uh, during this seven days of the fall, go out and live in your backyard, uh, go at it, do it if you want to. Uh, we usually go for a, a season here at Bethesda for three days and go over to Carter Caves and spend three days living in a tent. That's enough. Amen? <laughs> Let's just call that our Sukkot or our Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths where that we're uh, joining together and uh, let it be about us remembering our humble beginnings. So, as I think about this message and how it can apply to us, uh, life is full of sorrow, it's full of pain, it's full of issues. Amen? Life is full of these things. And even for the richest of the rich, or the poorest of the poor, or anybody in between, they will have issues throughout the year. They will have problems throughout the year. They will have worries. They will fret. They will wonder about some issues and things going on. And I begin to think about this, that the Lord instructed Israel to come back to this place where they would recognize these days of small beginnings. The Bible says, despise not the day of small beginnings. For if you're faithful over little, he'll make you ruler over much. Amen? So if we despise not the day of small beginnings, so it don't matter where you came from in life, it's about where you end in life that matters. Amen? It doesn't matter how you was raised, and sometimes we can look back and, and feel sorry for ourselves that I had to grow up this way or that way, when really, in reality, it isn't where I start, it's where I end. And the, the way to end well is a way to overcome problems, to overcome these issues, to overcome these adversities in life. And if you're not an overcomer, it's not going to end well. Maybe I need to be a little more clear on that. If you don't figure out how to fix the junk in your life, you're going to end up a train wreck. Amen. Life for you will end up bad. So we've got to learn to make wise decisions. And I say this all the time. It's a quote that came to me and it, it's just one that I, I, I can't get away from. It's, it's, uh, the, I think it's the epitome of my life. It's the, the pinnacle of my life. Wisdom is knowledge applied. I've said it a million times for this congregation. 
Wisdom is knowledge applied. You can have all the knowledge in the world if you do nothing with it and don't change anything. You don't have wisdom. All you have is knowledge. But if you learn how to apply the knowledge and do something different in your life and have actions to change, your outcome will change. And I want a different outcome, don't you? Are you sick of living the same years over and over and over? It, it kind of feels like Groundhog Day. Amen? Isn't that what life feels like is Groundhog Day? It's like, man, I've, I've been by here before. That's what the children of Israel did for 40 years. 40 years living in the wilderness in tents. And God says, I'm going to remind you while they're still living in tents, he tells them about this feast in Leviticus 23. He says, I'm going to remind every generation that comes after you about what you dealt with. That if you don't change during the course of your life, you can end up wandering around for 40 straight years looking at the same mountain. I love it when Jesus comes. He says, if you got faith, the size of mustard seed. You can speak to this mountain. Be thou cast into the sea. And it shall be cast in the sea. I don't know if he's talking about uh, physical mountains. Maybe he was. Maybe somebody needs a mountain moved. I've heard preachers talk about that they need a physical mountain. They was building on their property and they would speak to it. And, and somehow it just worked out to where that it got leveled off. And then they build their church and different stuff. Maybe it is physical mountains. I don't know. But I think Jesus myself was speaking about spiritual mountains. Amen? And there's a point where the Bible says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. And I believe there's something to speaking things. I'm not saying name it and claim it or grab it and blab it or none of those other things. I'm not one of those preachers that thinks that you cannot ever work a day in your life and drive down the road and see a big mansion and, and claim that mansion for yourself and never do anything to get there yourself. Amen? Hard work pays off. I promise you. If you, Mark, he's a coach that, that about working out and stuff. And if you work out, you'll have a better body than what you will like me. There's a difference between me and Mark. I work out eating. He works out in the gym. This is what you get when you eat. That's what you get when you go to the gym. We are a product of our actions. Amen. So I can stand here and speak. I want buff arms. I want buff arms. Arm, you better buff up. It's not going to happen. You got to go to the gym if you want the arms. Amen. And you got to go to Grisavani's if you want a gut. <laughs> That's just what you have to do. You ain't going to go to the gym and get a gut. It ain't going to happen. So it's just the way it is. We are products of our actions. But I love it that God says, for all your generations, and I just wonder why, that this is the last one of the feast. I really believe that God saves the best for last. I believe our latter years should exceed our former years. Amen. I'm like my mom. She says we ought to grow old. We shouldn't lose our sight. We shouldn't lose our vision. She believes that, like, uh, there's people in the Bible that talks about that his eyes didn't grow dim. Mom says, that's going to be me. I'm going to grow old, and I don't want to lose my vision. And she claims that and speaks that over and over and over again. And I, I hope and pray that's true. Amen? 
I want my latter days to be better than my former days. I want to get better as I go through life. I don't want to keep going around the same mountain like Israel did. And I just wonder if God had intentions or had enough foreknowledge when he wrote these feasts out if he saved the best for last. I just wonder if that happened. I believe he did. I believe he's smart enough to do that. Amen? So as we look at this today, I want us to get over some issues in our life. And as I looked at this, I thought, what can we do to bring out of this message how God's wanting to apply it to their heart? And I've, I've looked up different things, and I spent the whole week looking at this and studying this. And, and actually, it was kind of part of my lesson at school, too. But let's see if you'll put up one of the pictures, the round one. Here's the picture I came up with. The problem is solving problems. If you're trying to solve problems that the problem is solving problems, it's a never-ending circle. You can keep going around and around and around and around and never end. And some people including myself I'll just go out on a limb and say every person in this room faces issues that they never get the answer that they continually fight and fight and fight the same battles over and over and over and over because the solution is never obtained if you want to solve a problem you got to have the solution Amen? And I believe you can't have a solution without knowing where do I want to be. If I don't know where the end is that I want to get to, if I don't know the destination of where I want to go on vacation, it's hard telling where I'll end up. Amen? I'm guilty of that. Man, Leslie, we'll just decide, wake up in the middle of one night and say, hey, I want to go on vacation. And we just get in the car and take off and we don't call and get no motel rooms. We don't none of that we just take off driving and one time we was doing that going down through Tennessee and she was like well I want to go out to the Grand Canyon I thought well I'd rather go to Florida and, and next thing you know we was just kind of driving down through there and we decided well let's just go to Florida so we drive to Florida I like that because my whole life is planned my whole life is scheduled. Every day of my life has something. Me and Leslie, it's, it's an every week thing. And this week, I just she was overwhelmed this week. She took cookies to people that attended for the first time. She, she went out and she done all kinds of things this week. Every night of the week had something on her schedule. Mine's the same way. It's just busy, 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 busy. I can't get away from work enough that when I ever am away from work that i got to sit up two or three hours on my computer doing stuff at home to be ready for the next day at work. It's just a never-ending battle. So when I do get a vacation, that means I don't want anybody to schedule anything for me. Amen? I want some freedom. I want some liberty. I want to I want to be able to go at my own pace and do whatever I want to do. And if I get up in Florida and say, I don't like it here, I can go to Texas if I want. I ain't got a motel rented for a week. Amen? I like that liberty. But if you're living your life with that perspective, that you want liberty and freedom, you'll never get anywhere. Amen? You have to have a purpose. Do you have a purpose statement for your life? 
Do you have a calling on your life is what I'm basically saying. Has God given you direction that says, this is the path that you shall trod. This is the direction that you will go. These are the people that you will help. If you don't know that, please try to figure it out. Because you're just going through life with a problem and trying to solve problems. And usually what this is, is selfishness. Because we're always working on us whenever God made you a priest to help other people. I believe with my whole heart that God didn't put me here on earth for my own pleasures. Amen? It's, he, didn't, he didn't make this life about Ben Collier. I'm here to help others. And if I'm not helping others, I'm not doing the right thing. So as I look at this picture, this circle, it kind of reminds me of my life. When I was living my life for myself, that everything was about me, and it was just like I was going around and around circles and spinning wheels and never getting anywhere. But I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that I have grown since I've become saved. Amen? I have, I've went to Bible classes. I've went to Kaysom classes. I've done online studies. I, I take leadership training. I've done all kinds of things to better myself to help other people. It's not about me. If you want to be an effective pastor, you better have some leadership skills. So I try to do that so I can be a better leader. How much effort are you putting into helping others? It's amazing that as I looked at this and I thought back through my life that this was my problem. The problem was solving problems. I wasn't very good at it. Is anybody a master problem solver? I'm not talking about two plus two. I'm talking about life is a living hell and you can't get out of it. I don't think there's a master problem solver. Amen? The only master problem solver of getting yourself the hell out of your life is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen? The Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. That's who's your problem solver. You will never solve your own problems. You will never come up with a nice, wise ideal that you're going to come up with that just makes everything kind of come together and it all starts clicking. That ain't going to happen, Greg. It's about the moment in your life where you say, I'm tired of doing this myself, and I've made a mess out of everything I've done. I have to have Jesus fix this. He is the problem solver. And if he comes in and begins to solve your problems, you don't have problems anymore. Amen? You're still going to have some bumps along the road. I'm not saying that it's a, a life without bumps because there is absolutely bumps even in a Christian life. But it's a lot easier to go over those bumps and those hurdles with Jesus at your side. Coaching you along, saying, yes you can, get up, don't worry, don't worry. I know all the, I know all the enemies are out there saying that it's done, saying that it's over, saying you can't go any farther. But please, just get back up because Jesus is that friend that sticks closer than the brothers, what the scripture teaches. He's the problem solver. He solved the problem for humanity. The law could not do it, and it didn't. Jesus was the one that solved the problem for humanity. But there's this thing, and I looked up this smart guy. He's a mediator. So put the next screen up. If you want to know how to solve some problems in your life, some ways, and, I, and this is a, a uh, 
human version. But I believe if we apply this to spiritual things in our life, asking God for help with each one of these steps, if you're tired of living, going in that circle, even in a Christian life, stuck in a circle, look at these. Identify the issue. If you don't identify with what you're dealing with, if you don't have that end in, in mind of where you're heading, you're in for a, a rough road. Amen? It's going to be repetitive. And if, if you got up every night of your life and walked through a dark house and had a chair sitting in the middle of your hallway and broke your toe every night, what could you do about that? Move the chair, for one, or put a nightlight in the hallway, or just don't get up. <laughs> There's some options here, right? But the deal is, I'm tired of stubbing my toe. I gotta, I gotta fix this. I'm, I'm not gonna do this 365 days a year and stub my toe. I don't wanna do that. So, okay, now, identify the issue. We've got the issue, okay? Understand everyone's interest. Is anybody else hurt because I'm hurt? If I stub my toe every night and I've missed 18 days of work this year and didn't make enough money to pay my bills, is it going to affect other people? Absolutely. You've got to find out who else is involved here. Because sometimes the issues you're trying to deal with, it's affecting other people. And whether you think it does or not, you might act like a hellion and be an absolute rebel and think you're not hurting anybody but yourself, but I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of people around you crying for every time you stab a knife in somebody's back. Every action we have causes somebody else pain with us. Whether it's your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, your brother, your sister, your friends, your co-workers, somebody else is involved in our actions. Amen? That was a prayer of Jabez. He said, so that I may not cause others harm. <laughs> and whenever we get sick of causing other people pain, whenever I'm tired of piling, if I, if I know somebody and I love somebody and I can see myself constantly putting pain on their life or making their life worse, I, I need to change. Not just for my benefit, but for theirs as well. It says here, understand everyone's interest I don't care what problem or issue or thing you're dealing with in your life somebody else is involved I promise you list possible solutions we said that a minute ago put a nightlight in don't get up move the chair huh crawl that's another option see I never thought of that one I like that's the next one list possible solutions so as you're doing that I think you can get outside help uh, evaluate the options. Sometimes outside help is good because I would have never known to crawl. I'd have had to move the chair, get a nightlight, or just not get up. And if crawling might be the answer, it might work. Get outside help. Get get Jesus to say, I've, I, Jesus, I've been dealing with this for like 10 years now, and I'm kind of sick of it. And I'm tired. I'm I've been trying to fix it myself. So I'm asking you right now, help me with these issues in my life. The Bible's very clear that if you confess your sins or your faults, that he's faithful and just to forgive you. 
How many knows if he forgives you, he casts them into the lake or into the sea to never be remembered again. And if he forgot it, you should forget it. If Jesus has forgiven you of your sins, you should forget your sins. Amen? If you pick them back up and put them on your shoulders again when he took them off, that's your fault. That's not his. It says that in Hebrews chapter 12, I believe it is. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let us lay aside the weight and sin that so easily besets us. Let us take it off our shoulders and quit packing around the mess that you've been packing. Jesus carries it for you. Why are we still carrying it? Okay, evaluate the options. You better evaluate it. Because you might pick the first one that comes to mind, and that might not be the answer. That's kind of the way I am. I'm, I'm kind of like a, a, a gut feeling kind, you know, just whatever the first option comes to mind, I'll try that, just like that. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not going through this process and trying to really figure out what's going on. I just, it's an instinct thing with me. Mark, would be crawling. That, that instinct hit him, I'm going to crawl. He, he wouldn't worry about moving the chair or getting a light bulb or doing else. He's going to crawl. That's his answer. That's the way I'm getting out. I'm not going to stub my toe anymore. Okay, then you jab your head into it and cut your temple. I don't know. There's other things going to happen. That's the evaluation of things. Right? Select the option. This is the hard part. When you start evaluating things, if you're like me, if I don't go with my first gut instinct on something, when I start evaluating something, I will go on and on and on and on, and I will worry myself sick over, am I going to pick the right option or not? Anybody else guilty? It's hard for me to settle once I start thinking about it too much. And if there's a big problem in my life and I start thinking about it, praying about it, and trying to, trying to get all these options and figure out what well, I could do this, 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 and then when it comes to decision time, it's hard to pin it down if I've went into it that far. Evaluate those options. Selecting it, big problem for me. Document the agreement. The Bible says you get a vision from God, and I believe he does give every person a vision. I believe he's got a personal plan for every person in this room. The Bible says, take the vision, write it plain upon the tablets. If you've got a vision and you haven't wrote it down, you're never going to do it. You'll never fulfill your calling if you don't write down what God tells you to do. It's biblical. Write the vision, make it plain upon the tablets so that you may remember it when that day comes and you've got to run with it. Because God will bring it to pass. How many believes if God tells you something, if he gives you a vision for something, if he declares something, a calling over your life, he will fulfill that calling. Amen? One way or another, whether you back down, stumble, kick, stomp your toe, do something, he's going to get you where you're supposed to be. He's the, if, if he can orchestrate the stars and the moon and the sky and the heavens, Ernie, how much more can he orchestrate our life? If he can worry about where that the sparrow is going to fall, how much more is he concerned about us? That's what Jesus said. So document the agreement. Agree on contingencies. You know what contingencies is? It's an escape route. I've done budgets before. If you're going to do any kind of budgeting and whatever, you can do your home budget. 
You can write down, and, and Leslie's got papers we can help you with to help you uh, budget for your home and all that stuff. That I believe it's a godly thing. Stewardship is real. Amen. I believe God tells us to be good stewards over what he gives us, all the things he gives us, time, talent, and treasures. As we have those, you better have some contingency within your budget. You can budget every dollar you make, but if you ain't got a backup plan, something's going to hit you upside the head that you didn't see coming, and you ain't going to have the money for it if you've budgeted every dollar you make. It's a contingency. It's called a savings plan. If you don't have a savings you end up in trouble. Not just financial. I'm talking about every area of your life. If there's something going on in your life, you're trying to get out of problems in your life, you need to allow a contingency plan that this way that I've got figured out and I've went through this whole process, I've identified it, I've, I've understand what everybody else is going to do, I've listed out the potent, uh, possible solutions, I've evaluated those options, and then I've ended up selecting the options and I've documented it, I've wrote it down. And I have no contingency. That's the only path I've got. I, I didn't allow another way or a route out of that. You're going to end up with hell to pay. Our ways are not his ways. The Bible says that his ways are past finding out. We will never understand. It's bigger than us. And if you don't have those contingencies, and if you don't monitor, and if you don't evaluate even after you come through these problems of working through these steps, you're going up in trouble. And God don't want you in trouble. It's not his desire that you would fail. It's not his desire that you would fail. It's his desire that you would succeed. It's bigger than us. And how much better off would we be if every year of our life that God told us, even as Christians, go out and camp out in your backyard just to remind yourself how good you've got it. What if we had to go out and live in that tent for a week during the fall just to remind us you're not as big and as bad and as bold as you think you are. And I'm telling you that God is big enough that he can humble us. And if we got pride in our heart and we try to solve all our own problems, we're saying, Jesus, I don't need you. You're not my answer. I'm my own answer. I'm my Savior. I don't need you. That's not humility. Jesus is asking us today, how humble are you? Of the things I've given you, how much are you thankful for? How grateful are you during this season for what God's done this year? Even pain, even sorrow, even some of the things we never dreamed we would have faced or went through this past year. The Bible says that all things work together for the good those that's called according to his plan amen let's stand feast of tabernacles live outside a little while it'll cause you to refocus it'll cause you to reevaluate your life 
And I really think that God give us this last one because he knows it isn't about even coming to Jesus initially. It's about continuing to come to Jesus. Amen? I first came to Jesus in October of 1999 and told him, I've got too many problems, I can't fix them, I've tried. And he cured me of some things instantaneously. There are some things that dealt with in my life that he just took away. He fixed my problem. I got up from the altar with a, my burden was light. That's what he said he would do. And I got up with a freedom in my life. But it wasn't too long, just a few months later, until other issues started to come along. And if I didn't go back to Jesus and say, I need help with these issues too, Jesus, I'd still be dealing with them today. You have to ask him for help. The Bible says that he's a gentleman, that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, and he will not force himself on anybody. God is a gentleman. He's not going to make you do anything. He gives you a free choice, just like he did Adam and Eve. They chose what path they wanted to go. They had to pay the price for the choice they made. And today, that choice is before you. The Old Testament says, I set before you life and death. Choose life. What choices are you going to make today? Are you going to make choices for another year of hell that you've experienced this year? Are you going to, are you going to make that much hell on somebody else's life, the others around you, just like we spoke about? Do you get great joy out of causing other people pain? There's some real things going on in this room. If you don't fix them, you're going to have this problem again December next year. You better ask the problem solver to come and fix some things in our life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the Feast of Tabernacles. And God, I just ask as we look at this mediation plan, Lord, that it's, it's done here on earth and it's earthly. But God, I know also when we do things here on this earth, Lord, when we make wise choices, Lord, you said in the multitudes of counselors there is, there is wisdom. And God, I just thank you today, Lord, that, that we can have a multitude of counselors around us. And God, that there can be these, these mediation people, Lord, that knows how to, how to get results. God, I pray for people in this room, Lord, that's been facing things. Lord, they've been facing battles. They've been trying to overcome obstacles in their life. And, Lord, they've stumbled night after night and day after day and week after week and all the way month after month, Lord, that they're just walking into December. And, Lord, they, they're just thinking back, thinking, man, I've made a mess out of all this. And, God, we've explained it as clear as I can in this place today. Lord, that they have to have Jesus to fix their problems. And God, I pray that anybody in this room, Lord, that's wanting some problems fixed in their life would accept your son Jesus as their Savior, as their problem solver. Lord, that you can fix them from the inside out. Lord, for those that are hurt, Lord, I know here on this earth that people say that hurting people hurt people, but it doesn't have to end that way, God. you can take Peter and you can wreck his world Jesus 
And you can take him from a, a sword slashing, cussing, abrasive person and make him to become the person that preached the gospel even to the point of being crucified upside down because he was so humble. If you can fix him, God, you can fix anybody in this room. Lord, they just have to come to a conclusion. I'm tired of trying, and I need God. Holy Spirit, do your work. Dig deep in the hearts of the people in this room. Everybody here, just your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I just want to ask you, is there anybody here that will say, Pastor Ben, I want you to pray for me because I'm tired of making a mess of everything and I want Jesus to come and fix some issues in my life. Is there anybody here to raise your hand and just say, that's me. I'm ready for some problems to be solved. Amen. You can put your hands down. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, it says in James, you shall receive if you have faith to believe. And I'm agreeing with you right now as you raised your hand and said, I need some problems solved. I'm agreeing with you right now that God is about to fix some things in your life. Just lay down the weight of those sins and those things that are besetting you, that's causing you to lose focus. Let them go. Let them go in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.